This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Friends of Anchor. Friends of Anchor is a local charity supporting cancer and haematology patients right here in the northeast of Scotland, stretching their support as far north as Shetland and Orkney. Their mission is simple, supporting NHS Grampian to deliver the very best treatment and care for patients. Through funding the latest medical equipment, pioneering in research, driving clinical excellence among staff or bringing well-being support to patients in hospital or at home, Friends of Anchor is close at hand to deliver impact and support where it's needed. The charity is in the unique position that all of their running costs are covered by the Balmoral Group, meaning that every penny of every pound given goes directly to their cause. Please check out their website for more information at friendsofanchor.org. Oh, Hello and welcome along to this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and we've got an enforced absence this week as Gavin Baxter lives it up in Edinburgh. So on sole wingman duties this week, it's Graham Steele. Graham, how's it going? Uh, good, thank you. Lovely stuff. No hangovers from you after a, a lovely trip to Gorgie yesterday afternoon. No, uh, not at all. Uh, it was uh, it was a good trip actually, but we'll maybe come on to that in a in a little bit more detail. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's another busy episode. We say this every week at the moment, but it's true. A busy episode again this week. We're going to take a look back at the Dons 1-0 reverse in Baku at the hands of Karabag in leg one of the playoff round of the Europa Conference League. And we'll preview the return leg at Patojo, which is coming up on Thursday night. We'll also take a look back at our battling 1-1 draw in Gorgie against Hearts. And we'll run the rule over Malky Mackay's Dross County as we host the Highland side in our last SPFL Premiership match before the international break. And to round things off, we're going to be joined by Emma Hunter for an exclusive interview looking ahead to the season for the Aberdeen FC women's team as they make their long-awaited return to the top flight. And now, before we get started in earnest, at the top of the show, you'll have heard that this week's episode is sponsored by the good folks at Friends of Anchor. And like all charities, Friends of Anchor are only able to do what they do thanks to the wide range of fundraising activities that members of the local community engage in. And one such fundraiser is um, Aberdeen season ticket holder Chris Carr. Now, the morning after the Carabag home tie, so Friday morning, if you want to orientate yourselves, Chris is going to set out on his bike He's going to cycle 100 miles around the city and the Shire in honour of his cancer-suffering work colleague, Caitlin. So if you'd like to show some love to a fellow dandy and maybe, you know, compensate him for the absolutely horrendous condition his arse is going to be in after this, then please pop over to uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash Cycle and make a donation. Anything you can afford is gratefully received. And the ABZFP guys, we put our donation in earlier today. So we'd like to wish Chris all the best in his, uh, his endeavours. So let's get started. Gav, Graham and I, we sat down shortly after full-time on Thursday night to dissect events in Azerbaijan and to take a look forward to the return leg. This is what we had to say. So, yep, yeah, let's take a look then at Karabag FK1, Aberdeen 0, Tofik Baramov Stadium in Baku, Azerbaijan, Thursday, August 18th, 2021. Guys, what are we going to make of that? Kind of difficult to kind of judge, I guess, Um the performance, the 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 result, everything about it feels to me a little bit difficult to to kind of rationalise and to decide what we really make of it. 
couple of factors that obviously this works both ways. Uh, first and foremost, the pitch was atrocious. I know there'd been a lot of chat about uh, the quality of it before, but it wasn't until I saw some of the pictures going around before kickoff and then actually saw it that I realised, okay, Cormac wasn't on the wines or something when he was tweeting that he's perfectly entitled to uh, to make his complaints. Um, that was really poor. That didn't help anyone. Um, and obviously, I guess the the actual heat and the humidity, the conditions, which again, you'd think they might be more used to, but it's still a tough environment to, to play a game of football in. So from that point of view, maybe it wasn't the best representation of both teams. Um, in terms of the, the way the game went, it didn't really offer much of a threat, which is always a bit disappointing. I think second half when McLennan came on, he was better than Jet, um, although that's becoming an increasingly low bar. But if I try, sort of try and take the positive out of it, it's it's one nil. I don't think I've seen enough of Carabag to think that uh, you know the tie's over and we're in big trouble on Thursday. It's by no means easy, but a goal down's not the worst situation to be in. I would hope we'd get uh, pretty full house at Petodre. The atmosphere, you know, against uh, Braithwaite was excellent. If we can match that, then I think we've still got a decent shout. Can I just gotta take this in stages? So um that first 45 minutes was one of the least enjoyable experiences of watching a game of football I've ever had. Um, every time one of our guys turned or made a change of direction, I winced. Um, and this is even before Considine goes down with what looks like a pretty serious knee injury. You can tell from his reaction, it's bad. And hopefully, hopefully it's a case that it's something that felt worse at the time and it's not as bad as what we maybe fear. Um, and hopefully we get some good news in the coming days. In the unlikely event anyone from UEFA is listening to this podcast, how that pitch can be sanctioned, I have absolutely no idea. That was, I feel it's insulting to call it Sunday League. You know, Carabag get the goal. I think when Constantine goes off, McKenzie switches to the left side of the back three and Hayes swaps into the left fullback position. I think McKenzie gets suck, sucked into the middle of the pitch and it leaves Hayes exposed. Um, he's covering both the guy Romero with the ball and the runner and the guy cuts in front cuts inside takes the shot I don't blame Joe Lewis at all I think it's a really good finish from the guy and I think it takes a bobble over Joe Lewis's hand at that point it's um it looks like we're in for a really long night and I think credit actually has to go to the team for the way that they regrouped and recovered in the second half you know all things considering given everything I've just watched I'll actually take that one nil defeat um the away goal rule being scrapped takes away that element. And because otherwise, yeah, we're in, we're in real trouble if they come over and score. I think we experienced that against Kyra Almaty a few years back. Now we're 1-0 down. Got 90 minutes to to, uh, to take this game back. And hopefully, yeah, like Steele says, I packed it at Pataudry, Playing on a pitch that's actually fit for professional football. Hopefully that'll make a difference. And um, yeah, we can make this one a uh, night to remember. But um, yeah, right now I feel kind of deflated having just watched that because that was just for lack of a better term, that was just a joke. Yeah, I mean, I think if we go right the way, I guess, back to the start, obviously, <clears throat> sweeping changes in the starting lineup from the from the team that got beat at Wraith at the weekend, which is to be expected, I think we probably all agree that on the face of it, probably there or thereabouts, our strongest 11 that was probably available with the with Ryan Hedges missing. But yeah, you're right. I mean, our, our plan, I guess, for the game goes out the window within 14 minutes with the injury for Andy Considine. Um, you're right, looks looks a bad one. You could tell from the reaction straight away. He, he stayed down, didn't look like he was in, in a good way at all. Um, and that causes us a problem tonight, but it also causes a problem 
for the next few weeks as well and well for the foreseeable future until we potentially get a a replacement defender in the door now or probably two now I would suggest because I I already felt we needed one with the complement we had at present but that leaves us with only Declan Gallagher as being a recognized first team center half obviously Ross McCrory is playing in there but it's not a position you would necessarily say is his first choice area of the pitch to be playing in we've got a couple of youngsters kicking about but We've got big, big games coming up now in the next few weeks that if we get through this tie against Carabag as well, we're going to need a squad that we can cope with playing Thursday, Sundays. And, you know, if we're going into that relying purely on Gallagher, McCrory and the kids, then we're going to have real, real challenges. Yeah, the, the injury to Constantine is definitely alarming. And also on a sort of a personal level, you wouldn't want to see any Aberdeen player get injured. But the guy who's, you know, sort of season in, season out, has been doing it... Um, It'd be a shame. So I really hope there's nothing much in that. But you're right, he's not one for, yeah, rolling around, screaming until the guy gets booked and then getting back on his feet. And the fact that he got stretched off as well, um, maybe they're just being ultra-cautious. I mean, Hayes left in a boot after Rath Rovers. Um, you know, he, he came on and he, he played. So I'm hoping that there's nothing too much in there. So, that, yeah, that was disappointing. Um, Gallagher, I think he's a fine enough defender. feel he's a bit limited with the ball at his feet which I appreciate it's an accusation. You could probably throw anyone at this level. That's why they're at this level. But I think it's noticeable that uh, he just doesn't seem to be too comfortable trying to play it from the back, whereas McCrory gets the ball at his feet and probably isn't as good defensively, but is much better uh, as a footballer. So that that does actually cause us problems with the way we've been trying to play. So yeah, th- those two things are definitely a concern. I agree with you. We needed uh, a body before if Gonsarine's out um, longer term, then we absolutely need to do a bit of business. I know, supposedly, Michael Devlin you know, signed a deal till January, but it's never actually been confirmed that he's never been anywhere near uh, a matchday squad. So I don't particularly want to see him in the team as such, but there is an experienced pro potentially there. On Mikey Devlin, I think I read something today, actually. He's still in a boot, a protective boot, and he's been told to go on holiday because he isn't going to be fit anytime soon. So Michael Devlin is absolutely not going to be available to play anytime soon for Aberdeen one thing I would say Gav you touched on I think for the goal Jack McKenzie maybe does get sucked in a little bit um, towards the centre of the park maybe leaving Hayes a little bit exposed but I actually think Jack McKenzie probably deserves a bit of credit I actually think he did pretty well playing on the left hand side of the three um, for a position that I'll be honest I've not followed Jack McKenzie's youth career to any great extent but I can't imagine that's a position he's played in too many times um, so fair play to him that's a difficult a difficult shift to put in in a, in a high stakes game and I think he did pretty well yeah when I say that that was an isolated incident um, and like I say I don't know if McKenzie's played centre back or in a central position before um, he's probably my man of the match again I thought he was excellent beyond that uh, that one mistake going back to Constantine he he, lift, he raises his hand immediately as soon as he goes down That it's, a re, it's the reaction that tells you that he knows something's wrong unfortunately I mean what age is Constantine now at 35? He'll be in that ballpark, eh? He's in around that. So if this is a cruise ship, then doesn't bear thinking about. So hopefully it's all right. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think obviously the first half, I kind of personally felt, well, we didn't offer a huge amount of threat in the first half. I didn't really feel as though I felt that we were in danger either. I thought Carabag were trying to knock the ball about. They clearly have some players with some decent technical ability about them, but I never felt overly threatened by them. There was a an opportunity for... I think it might have been Caddy um, who, who, who who drove through and had a shot which Lewis saved. But apart from that, I didn't really feel like either team really threatened a huge amount. No, you're right. Well, I wouldn't say we were under the cosh. 
Um, and the goal we've touched on, you know, Mackenzie, maybe where he should have been. Hayes is a little bit, you know, he's a little bit unlucky because they he's got the guy with the ball in front of him and then he's got the runner and you see kind of steps to maybe go with the runner. But then the day, it's a pretty decent finish. Um, sometimes these things happen. And I think it's important to note while we've all been, I would say quite rightly, critical of Lewis a couple of times this season where he has made errors. I don't think there's anything he can do with that. It's a decent finish. It's pretty much in at the bottom corner. And with the state of that pitch, I think you're right, it does bounce up where it you know, probably wouldn't normally. So a bit of a disappointing goal to lose, but I wouldn't say it was an absolute howler by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you're right, first half was a bit of an odd one. We were a goal down, but I didn't really see us being a goal down. Uh, but on the other hand, at no point did I think we were getting back into it. Yeah, and I think that's probably the, the bit that is maybe the most disappointing is that I don't think we ever really looked like we were going to score a goal um, at any point tonight. Um, I guess potentially with going down to, with with Constantine going off the park, going a goal down, it, it maybe does become as well a bit of a, a try and contain and keep ourselves in the tie type scenario at that point for the team and, and not to overcommit and get caught too much on the break. Um, going back to the pitch, I mean, I know that people will talk and will say the pitch is the same for both teams. And that is absolutely fair enough. But what people also need to remember is that Karabakh have pretty good experience about playing on that pitch. Now, they've already played two home ties in Europe on it this season alone. And that, that's where they play their European ties. Generally speaking, they move them to the Olympic Stadium if they think they can get a big, big crowd in. But that's where they play their games. And, you know, speaking to Fuad Alibarov last week and, and during the game tonight, that pitch has been getting steadily worse over the last three or four years. So, yeah, while the pitch is the same for both teams, Karabag are a team who've played on it um, much more than, than we have. Um, but that brings up a slightly interesting dilemma for next week as well that potentially the pitch is looking really good and you, you could see tonight Carabag are a team who are going to want to knock the ball around where they can and a, a decent pitch might actually suit them quite well next week Yeah, I think it's definitely a case of be careful what you wish for uh, next Thursday Patojo is going to suit us better but I, I agree with you I think they've got enough players that are going to relish playing on a proper surface um, and that's definitely going to lead to, to more problems, you've just got to hope that We've got enough about our game when we're we're playing well on a good surface to to overpower them. Yeah, and we can touch on next week in a, in a couple of minutes. I mean, second half again, not really much to write home about. I don't think it's probably fair to say. We we make a change again at half time. Uh, Jet being removed for Conor McLennan again. There's lots of chat out there tonight about Jet and his lack of tracking back and so on and so forth. I think as well tonight's a game. I, I was surprised to see Jet in the starting lineup. Yeah, agreed. Um, I did not think this was a night for him. Um, maybe come on late on if we uh, need a goal, but um, I thought this was a night for um, someone like Mark Conor McLennan to be up front with uh, Ramirez, so I'm not quite sure I understand what uh, Stephen Glass's way of thinking was there. Likewise, I don't really understand the position that Ojo was playing, and this was commented a lot uh, throughout the game by Willie Garner. He seemed to be playing in this kind of almost like an island between Lewis Ferguson and Scott Brown, and then Ramirez and Jet or Connor McLean layer and you could just kind of see the ball being played through the lines and Ojo was just very ineffective certainly from a defensive uh, perspective and yeah didn't really do much going forward either. No I think just touching on Jet I actually my main gripe was his inability to hold the ball rather than a lack of work rate tonight there were a few opportunities where you know one of the rare occasions where we did put a couple of passes together and think right let's play it into Jet maybe we can get up the pitch and it just doesn't stick with him. And it's a bit annoying to take, given that he's a good football player and also he's massive. So 
I feel like a, a ball into his feet should be sticking a bit better than it did. Second half, I think probably Aberdeen probably came into it as the second half wore on, but without really looking like we were going to score a goal. That said, I'm not until sure I felt like we were going to concede again, either at any point. The referee, though, fuck me. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the point about um, um, not conceding. I think we nearly lose a goal through a mistake by Ojo and Joe Lewis makes a great save. Um, so credit to him. I think Joe actually had a pretty good game, all things considering. The referee, to quote Dolly Digital, you know, the referees in the Europa Conference League have been poor, but I mean, this prick in Baku makes Colum look like a prime Kalina. I, I, I think I think I think back to the referee for the was it the Maribor game who was horrendous. Yeah, Maribor away. Yeah. Oh. Listen, listen, listen. If to, if tonight was all about making me appreciate the talents of Willie Colum, then. Mission accomplished. Fucking hell. But you're absolutely right. I don't know if this is because this is being treated by UEFA as their absolute fucking diddy trophy, right? That they're, we're just getting referees handed over to us now who just like, are completely out of their depth. Because you've got two teams, you know, without wanting to be arrogant about it, you've got two teams there, Carabag with a good European pedigree and have, have been in Europe for the last seven or eight years in the group stages. Um, we've been there or thereabouts. This is our 20th tie tonight in the last seven, eight years. We've been there or thereabouts. We kind of know what this entails. But to be given a referee like that tonight is just, it feels like a massive slap in the face. Yeah, it was um, it was really disappointing. Uh, you know, it's not all down to the referee. I mean, if, you know, for example, the goal we conceded was not down to the referee. So I'm really sure it. Uh, influenced pivotal moments in the matches. But then you can argue guys that should have been getting booked. I mean, Ferguson got flattened a few times and these guys do get a booking, then that limits their ability to do that again, which maybe means you can't break up a period of play. And maybe it's all left splits and maybe something maybe comes out of it. But more importantly, someone could have got injured out there with some of the things. I mean, there was one in particular, Ferguson played the ball and the guy just comes straight through and flattens him and the referee's watching it. He's like, yeah, that's fine. On you go. I'm all for cutting down on any contact as a foul. But that's not uh, that doesn't fall sort of into that window. That was uh, that was ridiculous, and it was observed and ignored. There was a moment when there was a moment when Connor McLennan the ball's up in the air and he gets flattened by two. Yeah, and nothing happens, and and they're blatantly just going to take him out. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it is that was going down the left wing, but someone gets just cynically tripped, and it's nothing. Nothing happens. It's the exact same foul Scott Brown does, like five minutes later. Sorry, five minutes earlier. Yeah, but the card comes out. Yeah. Graham, you're absolutely right. The referee doesn't score the goal. So we shouldn't look too much at the ref here. But at the same time, it's all about fairness, isn't it? And, and if there are basically exactly the same fouls taking place and one attracts a book and another one doesn't, you start looking at that. And Carabag, I thought, were quite, I was going to say cute. They weren't cute because it was blatant, but they were streetwise in their niggliness and the way that they went about the game after they went 1-0 up as well. And it could have involved somebody getting seriously injured tonight, especially on that pitch. Um, the Ferguson one that you referenced in particular was was terrible. I guess, all being said and done, even before the game kicked off tonight, I think a lot of people would have probably taken a 1-0 defeat. I think I went into the game you know, hoping for the best and um, hoping we could come away from the game with a win. It wasn't, you know, Dave Cormack yesterday, so we're recording this like, hours after the game. Cormac, you know, tweets about the stadium and tweets about the pitch and you see it and it's, it's a ploughed field. 
But it wasn't until you actually watched the game that you realized just how bad it is. And just even when guys are jogging across the grass, it's cutting up. I was, yeah, you know, like I said, I was wincing through all throughout the first half. Um, all things considered, yeah, I'll gladly take that one null defeat. And excluding the Considine injury, you know, hopefully everyone else has come through it unscathed. We can just dust ourselves off. And yeah, like I said, we've still got a chance. That's uh, that's all we can hope for. I know Fuad said that only a win would be a good result for us tonight. But like I say, with the away goal rule being scrapped, it's 1-0, it's halftime. We can take it to the next week and, you know, pull something off, pull something out of the bag. So how do we approach next week, do we think? Smash them, I suppose. Much like the way, much in the same spirit we did the second half, we stand up to them. I think that's what, like, that's one thing we did do. Like I say, we maybe didn't create chances, but we certainly got in their face a bit more. And yeah, take the game, get the get the ball on the ground, and you know, pass it without thinking the ball's going to you know disappear into a ditch. Um, yeah, take get the backing of the crowd, take it to them. Yeah, win the game, win the game two 0 I think I'm up, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a big crowd. I think what do we have about fifteen thousand uh, for Bithwick, which is decent. So you're hoping for the same or, or more, given that we're so close. Um, to something tangible in Europe. Decent crowd. Hopefully Aberdeen can just come out the traps first five, ten minutes. Uh, I'm not saying these, I mean, these guys are not inexperienced. They're international players. So I'm not saying they're going to be rattled and fall apart. But if we can just get first five, ten minutes, really get the crowd um, whipped up and on, you know, on the side of the team, maybe a couple of chances. Obviously, if you could get something, um, that, that would be excellent. I just want to see us come out and have a, a go. I know, um, obviously, we are... You know they're good, so you do have to be mindful of their quality. But I'd rather see us just be set up to go out and and have a go at them early on. And based on what we've seen from Glass so far, isn't doesn't seem to be particularly cautious or negative. So I feel like he's not going to be setting us up to sort of feel our way into the game, you know, and see if we can get something. I think you'll take the view that we need to bring the game to them rather than maybe hope for something. Yeah, let me um, let me go back and what I just said because it sounded a little bit Tim Sherwood esque. I think we go into next week and be positive about what our strengths are uh, rather than concern ourselves with um, with what Carabao can do. Um, that's been a weakness uh, in our philosophy and our psychology for the last few years. I don't think they're a mile ahead of us by any means. So stick to our game plan, stick to what we believe in and, uh, and just believe in ourselves and that'll give us a chance. See, it's funny though, you're saying about sticking to our game plan for next week and our philosophy. I, I'm actually a little bit potentially the view that we maybe should abandon our philosophy a little bit next week. And I'm going to expand on that in a second. I think, Graham, you're right. Um, anyone that's listening who hasn't yet bought a ticket for the game on Thursday night, get yourself out of Pataudry. Let's cheer the lads on. Let's make this as intimidating an atmosphere as Pataudry can possibly be um, for Carabag coming here to play. And, and let's try and get behind the team as best we can and try and get them through this tie. <laughs> The reason I'm saying I wonder whether we should actually abandon our philosophy a little bit here is that just what we spoke about a minute ago. I think the pitch will suit Carabag come up to They'll want to get the ball down. They'll want to knock it about. Having watched what I watched tonight, I think Carabag can be got at. And I think they can be, I think we can get in their faces a little bit more. And there's a little bit of me actually feels that we should turn it into a bit of a more traditional Scottish kind of cup tie. Get in their faces early make them uncomfortable, don't let them settle on the ball, don't let them knock the ball about and see where they go from there. I feel that if we maybe go a bit too technical and we try to do some of the things we've been trying to do this season so far, it might just play right into Carabag's hands. No, I'd agree with that. I think we saw 
when McLennan was on, uh, he's more mobile, so he can you know close the guys down. He was more physical, you know, because he's getting close to his barging into them, and towards the end, you know, he's he's having a wee nibble at them and they're getting riled up. So I do think there is something in that, and it goes back to you know the opening league game against Dundee United. We're saying Charlie McGrew is tidy on the ball if you give him time, but when Ramirez and these guys were closing him down, he was just shelling into touch. So I do think, especially to start with, don't let the guys at the back settle. You're right, it's a good surface at Pataudry, certainly compared to what we had tonight. They've got plenty of decent players. If we allow them time, they're going to play the ball around and they're going to look quite good. I, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe maybe we should just take the view that um, we can get, get these guys, get them wound up, because it's maybe not something they're necessarily used to. And that unsettles people, even though they come in with a game plan. If the first five, ten minutes, every time you get the ball and you try to play a pass, someone's right on top of you, you are going to get a little bit, you know, sort of uh, flustered. You are going to start giving it away and then maybe we can start building up some attacks. I'm not quite going to the point of 4-4 facking two and expecting Stephen Glass to be wearing a gilet or anything like that. I don't want to put that on the record, but I do just wonder if it's one of those games, especially with the away goals rule not being there anymore. There's maybe an argument to say about going a little bit gung-ho in the first five, ten minutes here and try and really put them under pressure. Try and get an early goal because you can imagine what that would do to the atmosphere. If Karabakh score at that point, it doesn't really change much. We still need to score two goals and at least we're not going out of the... Out of the we don't need three like we would have done with the away goals rule being in play. So I, I wonder, I think it would be... Based on what I saw tonight, I think they can be got at. I, I agree with Gavin. I don't think they are a million miles away from where we are. They had one good chance tonight, maybe two, the, the, the save from Lewis after Ojo makes a meal of something. I think they're there to be got at, and I think I think we can do it. I genuinely think we can. Certainly, I think. So Fuad spoke to us last week about the importance of our set pieces. Tonight, our use of set pieces was criminal. Uh, that needs to be improved massively. I'm not quite sure the thinking behind Ramsey not taking the free kicks. I don't remember there being anyone particularly overly physical or overly physically impressive in their team. So... Hopefully we can, uh, yeah, like I say, just bully them and make, take advantage of that um, advantage in terms of strength at set pieces next week. Yeah, I think that's fair. Their, their physical elements, if you like, were cowardly late challenges that didn't get penalised. Um, you know, if, you can, if we can write, you know, if we can deal with that and give them some back or ideally you get a strong referee who doesn't allow that, then I think you're right. I don't really think we were bullied off the pitch by a more physical team. Um, they were just allowed to get away with Dirty tackles. Agreed. We need a strong referee as well next week. But my only concern about that is if the Slovenian official who sold, who sent Funzo Ojo off in the game against Rijeka a couple of seasons ago. And uh, from recollection, actually, I don't think Ojo really had a huge amount to complain about with his two bookings um, in that game. But I do recall he was quite a pernickety referee. Um, and I don't think we need that if we're going to try and get in their faces. No, you, you need to be allowed to build up ahead of steam, don't you? We know the name of the Slovenian referee that game because it was a Slovenian tonight. Oh, it might have been an Austrian then. I say I don't want this podcast to be a thing that leads to like witch hunts or whatever. But Radi Obrenovic, no one is proud of what you did tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All looking forward to next week. Pack Pitodre, let's make it happen. Come on, you Reds. So that's the Europa Conference League nonsense taken care of. Let's look at the bread and butter. Hearts won, Aberdeen won, Tynecastle Stadium, 22nd of August, 2021. Graham, you were in Gorgie, our first trip there since December 2019 because, you know, Hearts played in the championship. Um, we don't know what that's like. 
what was your kind of general general thoughts on the atmosphere and everything back at Tynecastle yesterday? First of all, the atmosphere was really good. I mean, I like going to Tynecastle. Don't always necessarily get a great result, but in terms of an atmosphere, Tynecastle is a good stadium. Um, there's always a decent, you know, good sizable home crowd, generally backed by a pretty strong away uh, sport. Every time I've been down there with Aberdeen, I think think back to going back a few seasons where we used to get the whole of that stand. And then obviously when they, you know they they improved a little bit, we they cut that back. So yeah, atmosphere was good. Um, thoughts sort of during the game and after the game maybe changed a little bit. But overall, when I left the stadium, I thought that's a decent result. You know, considering we've come back from Azerbaijan, all the travel, etc., and second half in particular, Aberdeen were really really good. It was I don't know how they found this, but they sort of found another level of intensity, which I think is really impressive considering the you know the travel and. What that game on Thursday must have taken out the sort of the state of the pitch it means you're working harder and the, the temperature and all the rest of it. So overall, I was actually quite pleased. Before the game, everybody I think presumed that we might see a, a rotated team again. Um, but it, it didn't happen this week. It was a, a pretty strong lineup, probably the strongest I think we had available to us. The biggest concern I think for everybody was the fact that Jack McKenzie didn't appear to make the well, didn't make the squad at all. And I've not really seen much in the way of feedback off the back of that, but I'm presuming and hoping that that was just a precautionary measure. Yeah, same. That was the first thought probably from everyone saying, right, he's not starting. That's fine. Oh, why is he not on the bench? We've not seen anything about an injury or anything. So, yeah, I'm hoping there's nothing, because I've not seen anything about him being linked with a move or anything like that. So I'm hoping there's nothing since there. They've just decided, let's not take any chances, keep him fresh for Thursday. Yeah, and like I say, I thought for me, I thought I was really surprised when I saw the lineup coming through that it was as strong as it was. I, I had assumed we were going to see a rotated team as we'd seen at Livingston and at Wraith in previous weeks. And in a way, um, I'm a little bit, it, it makes me a little bit disappointed with the approach we took in Kirkcaldy now a couple of weeks ago, where I personally felt that our best option there was to, was to feel the strongest uh, side as we could, get through the tie. And for me, the game to sacrifice actually was yesterday's tie. Um, you spoke about it a minute ago, Hearts. It's always a difficult place to go. There's always an op- a chance there that if you go out there with your strongest 11, that no matter what happens, you, you, you're you a, a dodgy refereeing decision away from being beaten anyway. It's three points in the league that you'd hopefully claw back again. Maybe that was the game to sacrifice. But the manager's obviously taken a different tact on that. And it's paid off. We've got a good point down there. And, and as Stephen Glass pointed out, you know, it's not an easy place to go. Celtic have already been there this season and have been beaten there. And I thought we looked good. Yeah, definitely. I wondered, it was only after that I wondered in terms of the changes, maybe maybe that's a message to some of the guys in the fringe that you're not just going to get in in this sort of Thursday-Sunday cycle. If you're not good enough, you're not good enough, and I'll just play the guys that, that are and that are performing. Um, so I, w- I was surprised, but then with uh, Kirkcaldy fresh in the back of my mind, I was also a little bit relieved because, like you say, a record there is not great. So going down with a team that we're all pretty disappointed with last Sunday would have made it really difficult. Um, now, I realise this might come back and bite us on Thursday. But, um, yeah, good, strong team and a pretty good showing, I would say, overall, second half in particular. Yeah, so I think, I mean, you're right. The first half, I felt, was not much to write home about. I think I tweeted it on the account during the game. It was a bit of a much of a muchness, pretty frantic no real quality on show from from either team. I probably thought we maybe edged it slightly, um, purely on the basis of Ramirez's opportunity that he had, and that really should have been 1-0. But I felt that I didn't feel 
overly threatened by by Hearts during the first half. No, it was a different Hearts this time. Physical in midfield in particular, as you'd expect. Ferguson, I don't know what he has done to opposition players. Everyone just seems to want to have a free hit at him, so he's getting flattened or, you know, ref flows for a foul the odd occasion, someone has a go at him after. So I'm not too sure what happened there, but the usual physical elements. But what they didn't have was sort of that aerial bombardment. I mean, normally they've got a big guy up front and they're just shelling balls into him and our defenders look like kids and we can't handle it. This was different. They didn't have that threat. And I actually think that suited us because if they're trying to play their way through us, in my opinion, we've better players. Yeah, and I think obviously first half, the biggest issue that I think that came out of the first 45 was the fact that Conor McLennan was forced off with what looked like a, a hamstring injury. And then Johnny Hayes was was hobbling towards the back end of the first half and obviously didn't come back out for the second. So that meant we had um, Jet coming on just before the, 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 the halftime break and um, Dean Campbell forced into a, a pretty unfamiliar role for Dean at left back at the start of the second half. My, my memories are are vague on this but as I recall Dean Campbell has had to play left back for Aberdeen's first team once before and that was at Tynecastle under Derek McInnes where Uche Ikpiezu just spent 45 minutes ragdolling him by by pulling onto his shoulder and it's no fault of, of Campbell there that's it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult shift to put in but I think all the credit in the world has to go to Campbell for how he performed in, in the second half on on Sunday. Absolutely um, I thought he was excellent yeah, it's. I was going to say it's not his position. I don't know if we've seen him enough, you know, any time in his career get a run in a position. So I'm not sure. But I, I'm pretty sure most people would agree he's not a left back. But I thought he was excellent. He was composed when he had to be. Um, you know, in particular with it with the assist. He's not played much. Uh, he could have, you know, he could have been sulking. He's obviously not been. He's been training well. He's been making the bench. Came on and to be honest, looked like he's been in that team for a wee while. Um, I didn't feel. I'm not saying I would not want Jack McKenzie back, but I am saying it wasn't the there wasn't the noticeable drop off in quality that I thought there might have been. And defensively, I thought he was pretty solid. He did his job quite well. So it was an excellent 45 minutes because not that's not an easy game to come into. Uh, it's definitely not. It's an intimidating atmosphere at the best of times. It's difficult to come in there at that sort of stage in a game. We've not played very many minutes or any minutes at all, actually, this season, I think, for, for Dean Campbell. And the lad Janelli that um, Hearts have is it's pretty rapid as a winger. So if, if fullback's not your natural position to play, that's a, a pretty daunting prospect. And I think that Dean deserves a lot of credit for, for how he performed there. I mean, it's funny, actually, because the second half, we kind of started it a little bit slack, actually. Um, Joe Lewis has is, is started to become a weekly habit, unfortunately, dropping the ball at the feet of Gary McKay-Steven, who, it's an open goal, if we're brutally honest, sclaps it wide, and we kind of got away with one there, and then minutes later, it's the penalty kick. Uh, we were just talking about it before we came on air. I I, I personally think it's a penalty every day of the week. Um, Declan Garrick gets sucked in a little bit. Doesn't really make a tackle, per se, but it's, he gets his legs tangled up with Gary McKay-Steven, and it's maybe a little bit soft, but if it happens in the opposite penalty box, we're all going to be screaming for it. And, um, and Liam Boyce puts it away. But then after that, I thought that we did really, really well to come back into it. Um, it would have been very easy in that situation there for heads to go down, for fatigue to start to set in because of the travel we've had to do. But the absolute opposite happened. And, and we finished, well, we, we finished the game, the last 30, 40 minutes, looking the fresher of the two teams. Yeah, it, it was really impressive. In fact, so impressive that even Nielsen had to acknowledge in his post-match that Aberdeen were much better team in the second half. You know, we stopped them playing 
with a higher intensity in the press. So, yeah, I, I have to be honest, I didn't see that coming. But I, I think what really helped was yeah, people are going to talk about Brown, he's a leader and stuff like that. It's not just him. I mean, everyone, I mean, towards the end in particular, McCrory, some of the runs he was making was absolutely ridiculous, box to box. And I don't think that's him. It's not trying to appease the fans or show that they're into it. You know, that's, I want to win this. And that that mentality, you know, whether it comes from Brown or the new management, whatever, it's not just one or two players in that team now. It feels like it's starting to spread. So, yeah, the attitude was excellent. And also some of the football was really rather good. Uh, that that was, you know, that's obviously quite encouraging. And, yeah, the goal, we've been watching sort of the, the warm-up routine. They were doing that and there were crosses. You know, if, you, if the ball went across the face of the goal and no one got it, they were regrouping and had someone else to swing it in straight away as part of the routine. So they've obviously been working on just keep the ball alive and credit to Campbell. It's a position he doesn't play. He's not played much. He could have been a bit cautious and thought, well, I'll hang back. You know, the guy he was up against was quick, like you pointed out. But no, he was up there supporting, great ball in. And we've been saying when, not if, when Ojo scores, the place is going to take off. Uh, and it did. Obviously, I'd have been delighted whoever scored to get us back into the game. But certainly delighted that he got it. Uh, the season he's have he's having so far certainly deserved the goal. Um, and that, you know, great bounce got us right back in it. And I actually did think we might go on and do something here because I think there was maybe sort of 15, 20 minutes to go um, at that point and the way the game was going. It's all Aberdeen. Yeah, I actually think as well, I think the manager deserves a bit of credit for a little bit of a tactical tweak he made at halftime as well. I think in the first half, you could see that Hearts were were doing well in the centre of the park through Haring and through um, Beningame to kind of break up attacks and to kind of dominate that central midfield area. We didn't really quite have a foothold in there, although it didn't necessarily you know, cause us any major issues. But I think that half time there was definitely a, a tweak and you could see it. And I've seen some analysis on this as well over the last 24 hours that we created a bit of a numerical overload in the centre of the park and it meant that we were able to pin Hearts instead of it being a back three, we pinned them into a back five position, um, which gave Jet a lot of time and space as well to kind of hang off, especially the shoulder of Andy Halliday, which was great to see. Can we all just admit how fucking funny was it watching Jet absolutely ragdoll the arse off of Andy Halliday? Yeah, uh, there were a lot of excellent performances um, in that game, second half in particular, I keep going on about that. And yeah, Jet, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this. He's not impressed me at all this season. He's annoyed me most of it. He was excellent. Absolutely excellent. It was so good just to see boys. I mean, they didn't know what to do. You can't compete in the air and you can't get the ball off. And so boys bouncing off him. But it's not just like he's a big unit. Some of the stuff he was doing with the ball, his feet, flicks, the Megs, thoroughly enjoyed that. Now, a couple of times it was a bit frustrating because he tries a flick and you think, ah, there was a pass on there. But you don't really want to take that out of the game because then what we're saying is we don't want any flare players we just want everyone playing safe so we thought, yeah it was brilliant to watch hey the E in Jet stands for Enigma I think that's what that's going to be this season like, he's going to disappear for weeks um, but he's going to turn out in a performance like that um, every so often and you'll go actually that's a hell of a player there and it was just a game that seemed really suited to him he was able to drop off players he was able to find pockets of space he was able to get the ball into feet he was able to get balls kind of chipped into him rather than them being launched at his head. So he could, could take them down, use his strength, role players. thought it was superb, and I thought it gave us a foothold in the game. Yeah, definitely. I have certainly been critical of the fact that uh, for a guy his size, when he's been playing, the ball's not been sticking. I think it was a different... You're right, we weren't just shelling it up to him as a 
oh, we're under pressure, Jets, the big guy, will punt up to him. Yeah, he was getting balls in the feet uh, or dinked into him so they can actually set himself. The defender can't get past him and he can control it. But it was great because when the ball came up to him, if you didn't skin the man or the guy bounced off him, it's like, right, I've got the ball. I play a simple pass in some cases, pass it to, t- you know, we just kept it and that gets us up the pitch slowly. Huge difference to the last few games. And this wasn't about him. Yeah, he wasn't running the channels and stuff like that. But the way he was playing, the way we were playing to him, he didn't need to. And you actually didn't want him to. You kind of wanted him to be getting the ball into the feet because a couple of defenders go to him, creates a space, and he was he was winning every challenge. Well, that's where I think Glass does deserve a little bit of credit from a tactical perspective. Because I think with making the switch he makes at half time on a positional level when we're in possession, allows us to pin the hearts back five backwards, which means we dominated possession, we dominated the midfield area. It meant that Jet didn't spend a particularly significant period of time trying to chase down defenders, which is not his game. And that's also where there's a there's going to be a perception that he's lazy and so on and so forth, so on and so forth as we go on. So I think that Glass deserves a lot of credit for that. But at the same time, I think that we touched on it already. I thought Ross McCrory, he was my top don. I thought he was excellent. And not because we were under the cosh and he was having to make tackles and this and that and the next thing. I thought defensively he looked good. He looked solid. Didn't really, nothing really seemed to phase him. I thought his distribution of the ball was excellent. And then, as you say, in that last 25 minutes, he was one of the guys breaking out from defence and try to push us forward as well and try to get us up the pitch and try to get for a winner. And I thought Ross McCrory's had a lot of detractors already this season about whether he can or can't be a centre half. On that performance there, I think if we stick with the guy in that position, I think we might just luck out here. Yeah, he, he was. He was good. Um, and second half, the energy levels and that desire were, were really impressive. I also thought, um, and this is maybe going back to what you were saying, sort of Jet retaining the ball and us getting maybe a bit more space between Hearts defence and the midfield. Like Jenks and Ojo came into the game more in the second half. Yeah. Um, Jenks in particular, first half, he didn't do anything wrong, but he's, he's a big guy. And I guess maybe you get caught up in the hype of, oh, he's come from Brighton, so he must have something about him. I don't know, he wasn't doing anything wrong, but he wasn't doing anything to make me think, oh, I can see why we took him on loan. Second half, thought he was really quite good, um, you know, breaking up the play, getting involved. But then he, I don't know, he was using his the physical side, guys were bouncing off him, and he just looked like a better player. And Ojo was much more involved in the game and was more like the, the Ojo we've started to enjoy um, this season. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'd already said that during the during the Twitter feed and at the time, I thought that Terry Jenks deserved a lot of credit. I think we finally got to see what he can potentially bring to the table um, over the next few weeks. I think he's probably played his way into the starting lineup on, on Thursday night on the basis that Ryan Hedges is presumably not going to be available. Um, he's at least has potentially an element of creativity around him. Um, Dean Campbell, we've spoken about. Funzo Ojo, I thought on the whole, first half was a bit quiet. Like you say, second half, much better along with the rest of the team. Great for him to get a goal. How many people have been going on about whether he's going to get one or not? And you never know, that might just set him off. It was a kind of great goal for him to get in the sense it was very just instinctive. He didn't really have to like, it's not like he had to think about it, stuck a leg out, put it away, and that might give him a huge boost in front of goal. We can't talk about the game yesterday without talking about Scott Brown, though. Yeah, um, it's funny. So first half in particular, it's like he was part of the defence. You know, he's in between McCurdy and Galker picking the ball off of Lewis which isn't necessarily where you want him to be. Uh, and I think he had, he had one great uh, tackle action in the first half where he was the guy tracking back into the box. But yeah, he was he was really, really good. I mean, obviously, you know what he brings. 
terms of the the attitude and what he demands from players. But there's also the the bits and pieces that annoyed us when he played for Celtic aren't quite as annoying when he's doing it in a red shirt. And you and you kind of feel like, yeah, there's a guy sticking up for us in the pitch. Um, I'm not so sure we've had that for a wee while. I'm not, you know, Lewis is a great goalkeeper, but goalkeeper as a captain, that doesn't really work. He can't be barging in the middle of the field every time to get in the referee's ear. So having Brown in there doing the things that we all hated, but now I can turn a blind eye to was uh, really good. And the pantomime villain as well. Um, that, that was quite good at the end of the match. I think as well, there's two points to that. I've seen some people say, oh, we've not had a player like that since Graham Shinney. And I agree to that to an extent. But you know what? Graham Shinney wasn't as streetwise as Scott Brown is and didn't have that nous to, to, to get involved where he can get involved and get away with it. You know, how often did we see a Shinney get a, an early book and you'd wonder how he managed to escape a sending off, which was full credit to him. He managed to rein that in. But Brown's on a completely different level from, from that. And... Listen, we also have our reservations, I think, about the way that he came in. And there's still that niggling bit in the back of a lot of our heads about the whole Tony of Logan incident and the fact that Brown never really called out the Tony of part to it. But at the same time, you can hold two opinions, which may be kind of contradictory. Sometimes you can hold two opinions at the same time. And I, while I still have a, a tinge of disappointment and regret that that issue's not been addressed properly, if we can get Scott Brown playing like this for the next two seasons, as, as we've got him under contract for, what this adds to our team and to our squad is kind of immeasurable. And it's even daft things like, you won't have seen it because you were at the game, but if you watch the feedback, Calvin Ramsey goes for a throw-in at the Wheatfields stand in the first half, and the Hearts supporter are also giving it the big licks to the young lad. And he just stands there and fucking laughs at them. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's just his natural character. Maybe, I don't know. But I like to think that it goes back to what I spoke about, I think, in episode two. Having a guy like Brown in your corner, knowing that, and Tio Tenkat touched on it, and I can't remember if Tio touched on it in the interview or if he touched on it with me afterwards. Having a guy in your team who a young player can look up to and who will come over and put their arm around him and say, look, you just play your game. Don't you worry about a player over here trying to kick you or don't you worry about the fans? I'll take care of that. And if a guy over here tries to kick you, don't you worry, I'll go and kick him twice as hard. You just play your game. It's immeasurable. And there's more and more people coming around to him because of the way he's handling himself and the way he's, you know, um, holding himself in, in, in interviews and all that. And that's easy to kind of, that's easy stuff for him to do. He'd be well-versed in all that from his time at Celtic. But there's genuinely part of me that thinks that there could be a really good long-term future actually for Scott Brown at Aberdeen Football Club. Yeah, it's I think I said at the start, we all had our views on him signing. But at the end of the day, if he does his talking on the pitch, not everyone will want him. Everyone, you know, some people have their views and they're going to change, and that's absolutely fine. Other people will come round to him. But yeah, it's difficult to do a bad interview. You've got to be pretty daft to mess up an interview and say the wrong things. But going out there and so far doing it on the pitch, um, that's all what we want to see. And if he continues to do that and he conducts himself in a manner that I think as Aberdeen fans, we would want someone representing our club to do. I'd probably be all right with that. I think as well, as you say, the, the last 25 minutes after we score, we're well on top and you come out of that game actually really disappointed not to have won it. I think that's a sign of just how good a second half performance that was. Yeah, it was it was really, really good. And the, the thing, you know, I was saying, it was slightly different hearts. They didn't have that aerial bombardment, but they still had the niggly challenges and the fouls and the breaking up. But we didn't... I didn't feel like we were getting bullied out of the game. Like we have 
um, maybe in previous seasons. You know, everyone was still wanting to take the ball. People were getting tackled, people were getting challenged, but that's fine. I mean, some of the stuff Ferguson took, I never once shied away from, right, and I, I still want the ball in my feet. I know some idiot's going to come clattering me and Madden will do nothing, but it's fine, I still want the ball. So I didn't feel like we got intimidated the way maybe we would have done. And, you know, for example, going and goal down with that atmosphere, with everything going on, I'm not so sure we'd have always been coming back and getting something out of that game. This It's only one game, admittedly, down there, but it felt a little bit different in terms of the response from the team. Well, yeah, and absolutely with a homer of a referee as well. Let's not, I, I don't want to talk about referees too much on this podcast when we go forward, but Bobby Madden, your beard's full of nobody. You're still pish, mate. That was a terrible, terrible referee performance. The boy Haring should have been in the book in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. And he finally goes into the book about, I think, the hour mark. And then he still commits an hour a couple of fouls after that. And it's like, but you, you, he should be sent off by now already. And Andy Halliday, how he ended up still staying on the pitch, I have no idea either. Yeah, I know I got uh, grief from yourself and Gavin for my unbookable 11. I'm going to change it to the really hard to book 11. And uh, Peter Harry goes in there as my second signing in my really hard to book 11. Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Anyway, right. Maintains our unbeaten start. We've got Ross County coming up at Petodja next week. Uh, now, which is interesting because Hearts face a trip to the United who are now suddenly going good guns all of a sudden. And the Glasgow teams face each other in the Ugly Sister Derby. So there's a good chance for Aberdeen and Hibs to put a little bit of daylight between us and the remainder of the sides before the international break. Yeah, that would uh, that would be good to see. Again, football snobbery maybe. It's Ross County at Petodre. There's got to be three points. Again, if you want to be anywhere at the end of the season... These are the games that you need to be winning because generally speaking, you'd expect your rivals to beat them. We'll talk about Dross County in a minute, but um, overall in terms of the two the two games, the Carabag away tie and, and the Hearts match, like overall thoughts, where do we go from here? We definitely need some signings. Now, admittedly, I think it, we were in a car on the way back and we heard the glass interview and I can't remember his exact words, but his words were along the lines of, you know, Thursday might dictate the finances and the signings, which is something we've probably all thought might be the case, but he, he did come out with that. So I suppose we're going to have to wait and see what happens there, what uh, what list he's working from. I said after, I think it was the Wraith game, you know, maybe some of these sort of fringe players aren't good enough. Maybe I need to reevaluate that. You know, Jenks, for example, showed enough on Sunday that uh, actually he could do a job in the team. So I'm not so sure if we've learnt... A great deal. We're maybe just starting to figure out um, some of these players, maybe starting to realise what it's like to play for Aberdeen and maybe they can't just turn up. You know, maybe, maybe there is something a bit more to it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the obvious one. Um, we've been saying it since the first episode of this podcast. It's We're still light on numbers and we're even more light on numbers now after what's happened last week. Andy Consident, that looked a bad, bad injury. I'll be surprised. I mean, we've not heard anything about it, but I'll be surprised if we see Andy Consident again. Certainly this side of Christmas. Ryan Hedges, I saw some, there was some chat, I think, in the Scotsman uh, earlier today that he could be out until December, which is a huge, huge blow. Yeah, I hadn't seen that, though. I did see it was a hamstring thing. So you're right, that's, well, best case scenario, that's probably measured in a few weeks, depending on what he's done. Could be longer term. So yeah, that that's worrying because I'm not sure we're blessed with lots of creative players and more importantly, creative players in form, you could argue McGinn's a creative player, but I don't think he's in any sort of form. So missing hedges for a period, I think, means we should be looking to get someone. And then a player also who we may look for some creativity from in Conor McLennan. He goes off with a hamstring injury as well. That could be, you just don't know, that could be 
days, it might just been a slight tweak, or it could be weeks again for a hammy. Um, Johnny Hayes, who seems to be just permanently hobbling um, since we brought him back from, from Celtic. Um, he's a bit of a warrior, obviously, he always puts himself out there. But again, that's a that's a potential concern because we've only really got Jack McKenzie at, at left back, although Dean Campbell obviously came in and, and did well. We're still light all over the place. And even up top, where we've not suffered an injury yet, we we've been up we've been we've been light there from since day one. So I think it's interesting that Glass is kind of indicating that you know all is all gonna hinge on what happens on Thursday night. I, I kind of think that well we still need signings no matter what happens on Thursday night. And I can only presume what he means by that is that the, it might dictate the quality of people that we are able to get in the door. I think that's what he meant. But again, he did say we won't be signing squad fillers. We will be signing players that, um, you know, that can improve us and do a job. Now, admittedly, every manager says that, but the, there is a theme there and that he has said that from day one. And I think it was the interview with himself and was it Rob Wicks? And they were talking about we're not getting guys to fill in a you know fill in a gap and block someone. So, but we'll see what we get. Um, but it sounds like Thursday might actually influence who we can approach. And I wonder. I was going to touch on this later in the show, but maybe this is a good time to do it just now because there's been rumours doing the rounds today about some of the players who we may be we may be looking at. And and one of the names that keeps on cropping up and has cropped up right the way through the summers is, is um, the lad McGrath at St Mirren. Now, it's been pretty well publicised that Matt Kennedy is likely to go to St Mirren on loan this season. But I do wonder if we are waiting to see what happens with regards to the the, the tie on Thursday night to see if we can potentially look at launching a, a cash bid for McGrath and give them Kennedy on loan or even on a permanent deal for, for the end of the season. I've seen as well that we're being linked with the lad, the young defender Hamilton from Hamilton Ackies. That's not a joke, by the way. Uh, I think he's 19 years old, comes highly recommended. I think he was on trial with a number of English Premier League clubs last season. Um, but that, to me, uh, he was getting some rave reviews last season. Also, that's an Aki's team that obviously got, ultimately was relegated. But it seems like the Lewis Ferguson type approach again. And for me, that's the type of signing we should absolutely be looking at making. Interesting one, though, I saw we were being linked with David Ingvarsson, who was the left back, the bleach blonde left back from Breithablik, who obviously we played in the Conference League. Now, I'm not sure left back might be an area we do need to think about strengthening if, if there's going to be serious concerns over Johnny Hayes' injury proneness this season. But I thought that was an interesting one that we looked at a player who, who we've recently played against and and looks like we might be considering. Yeah, that, that one I wasn't aware of and is a bit more left field than... You know, it's the guy, the, the boy McGrath at St Mirren. You, you're watching him you know, regularly. Uh, same with the young lad at Hamilton. All these guys you've got access to kind of as and when you want. Doesn't really, doesn't mean they're not good players, but doesn't, it's not a very imaginative visit because everyone's looking at them. So, yeah, that's quite interesting to hear that, actually. Maybe we are, whether he's caught the eye during the games or whether we've had uh, reports on him and obviously had the opportunity to, to look at him up close and personal, that's... Yeah, that's quite an interesting one. I can't actually remember. I usually judge a player by did he do anything to annoy me, and I don't actually know if he did. So that's a good start already. Yeah, I can't really remember whether or not I I, I, I thought that looks like a good player. I mean, if there was anyone in the Braithwick team I would have looked at, it would have been the lad uh, Eolfson. Um, I thought he looked like a pretty decent a, a pretty decent player. But it's, it's always difficult to tell, I think, in those types of games because people will tend to raise themselves up a level, so on and so forth. I think the one thing I would say is that... Um, Darren Mowbray has, has got himself uh, a busy week up ahead before the transfer window slams shut, as they uh, as they say. Because no matter what happens Thursday night, there's going to have to be movement in and presumably some movement out because we do have to, I think we need to weed out some bodies out of the squad and it's clearly just going to be around 
what the budget says. And working on the assumption that it's all under control and they're basically just going to pull the trigger on one list or the other list, um, you know, come close to play on Thursday, doesn't really leave you a great deal of time to wrap up a deal. And you're right, we do need to, I mean, Matt Kennedy, I've never been that fussed by him anyway. I don't see him, he's not an improvement on what we're currently working with, so I personally wouldn't have any objections to getting him loaned out and, you know, maybe if we can get a contribution to his wages, that'd be good. Yeah, and obviously we'll try and look at a bit of a deep dive on who comes in, who goes out, if anybody does uh, on Transfer Window Day on next week's episode. Now, while we're talking fantasy football, which is always a, a good topic, let's just have a quick look at the ABZ FP Fantasy Football League this week. So top place, I miss Kabamba. We still have no idea amongst us who that refers to. Um, Keir Miller, if you want to get in touch, let us know what that is all about. Uh, but you're top of the table tonight, mate. 228 points with a five-point gap over, and this is one of my favourite names in the league again, over Zonal Marxism, uh, Martin Stone. And Martin is joining us next week on this programme as well. Um, in third place, Gold, Frankincense and Gurr maintains their spot in the top three, which I'm delighted about because I do like that name. If you haven't done it yet, make sure you go and quickly join the ABZFP fantasy football league you'll find us on the main landing page or if you look through our tweets you'll find the code in there also this week if you've been looking around on our tweets we've been fortunate enough to enter a partnership with the good lads at bands fc to get a hold of one of their upcoming twilight sad versus aberdeen football club shirts that they are launching on saturday we've got one available for anyone to win simply go onto our profile you'll find the tweet we're talking about retweet it you'll go straight into a prize draw winner will be selected before uh, afternoon sorry on friday the 27th of august we'll tell you about whether you've been successful or not so you don't accidentally go and order one but please go and check that out and if you if you're not successful make sure you go along and order one anyway those are absolute perlers and all proceeds are going to two charities that the twilight sad are nominating for themselves Visiting Pataudry this weekend is mad racist Malky Mackay's Ross County. Now, the Dingwall men, they sit 10th in the table. They've opened their league campaign with a, a nil-nil draw at St. Johnston. I think that's just par for the course against St. Johnston, to be honest. And I didn't realise there was any other score against St. Johnston for quite yeah. a long time. It's like a rework of that Billy Conley joke, isn't it? And they, they followed that up then with two defeats at the hands of Hibs and Rangers shipping seven goals in the process and County also failed to make it out of the League Cup group stages as well so there's some pressure building already on Mackay um, he wasn't even a popular opinion a popular appointment to begin with so pressure building in the Highlands there's probably some mitigation for him there they, they were badly hit COVID-19 during the close season now looking back to last season obviously Don's won two out of three against County which included a rare Curtis Main double in a in a 2-0 victory at Batodry but I think the most notable result of all was the 4-1 defeat we suffered in Dingwall to John Hughes's team as it was in a game that let's be honest I think that probably well and truly popped that final nail into the Derek McInnes coffin for a number of Aberdeen supporters. Yeah I guess I'd just like to go back to that uh, first point of the paragraph have we fact-checked the Curtis Main double? Is that real? Uh, yeah, it happened. It's a thing. Wow. I know. God help. Well, A, Ross County. If you ship two goals to Curtis Main, Jesus Christ. And also, I want to just say, Shrewsbury Town fans, I mean, there's not going to be any listening, but, oh, man, you've, you had to watch Curtis Main last season and you've got Sam Cosgrove leading the line this year. I, I don't like picking on players, but dearie me. Um, yeah, the Shrews have upset the footballing gods somewhere along the line. It's been a close season of transition. Um, we, we heard that before. 
um, for Ross County, seven kind of recognisable first-team departures. That's, you know, the Ranger and the likes of uh, Ian Vigers and Ross Draper, who I think have found their way to, to Cove Rangers, and the likes of Billy Mackay and Michael Garden, who've made that um, traditional journey from Ross County to Inverness Cali Thistle. Uh, and they've been kind of replaced with what appear to be just a number of kind of free transfers and, and loan signings from the English lower leagues and from the under-23 squads in England predominantly. So I don't know, it feels a bit difficult to kind of judge what we can expect from Ross County come Sunday. Uh, I think so. You kind of expect, yeah, Ross County to be, to be picking up guys, journeymen that we we know, you know, they've either played in, in Scotland or they played in the league or whatever, and you kind of know what you're getting. But you're right, these are relative unknowns. Have an idea of what you're going to get in terms of a style. I think they will be, you know, difficult to beat, etc. They'll they'll sit in. But yeah, in terms of individuals, I'm not actually aware of anyone that I think, oh yeah, I remember that guy, he was quite handy or he was just average. I can see why he ended up there. So it's a little bit different um in terms of the maybe the first eleven and who we do and we don't recognise. But I would still uh I'm still expecting three points is what it boils down to. Yeah, I think ultimately no matter what happens now on on Thursday night, I'd, I'd fully expect us to be putting out our strongest available 11 on Sunday. Scott Brown kind of alluded to it in his post-match interview um, on Sunday that they've got two games now and then it's international break and they can have a bit of a some time off then. It needs to be full pelt on these two games. Hopefully we get a victory uh, against Carabag on, on Thursday night because that would be huge for the club, um, as we've already talked about. But getting three points against Ross County as well would be huge in terms of, as we spoke about earlier, it potentially gives ourselves and Hibs a good opportunity to open up some daylight between ourselves and the rest of the kind of teams in the league. Now, fingers crossed what happens is uh, there's a, a draw, I guess, in the in the Ugly Sisters derby, which would allow us to pull away a little bit further from both of them. And uh, Hopefully United can can do over Hearts. I fancy Hearts will probably be a bit closer to us come the end of the season. United will be, but yeah, you're right. I think I'm expecting a I'm expecting a well organised, well drilled Ross County team to come down and try and stifle. But that could be the game that's well set up for the likes of Jet. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And if he can continue on his form from Tynecastle uh, to an extent, it doesn't matter who he's playing against. If he's playing like that. He's going to be really difficult. Uh, he's going to be really difficult to face. And even I mean, you look, um, okay, nil nil with with St Johnston, Hibs and Rangers scored quite a few goals against them. On that basis, I don't see why we're not going to be scoring a few goals against them. I appreciate it's not like that simple. If it was, we'd all be managers and we'd all be be really good at it. But I keep saying stuff like this. At the end of the day, the teams we are competing with in the league are generally speaking going to beat Ross County. I mean, Hibs have already, for example. So. They're three points up on us from that point of view. So we need to be winning those kind of games, especially at home. And what it's going to boil down to at the end of the season, if you think back over the last few years, we generally were beating the teams we should beat. What, what we didn't do was pick up anything, generally speaking, against like you know Rangers or Celtic um, or maybe a Hearts away, that, that type of thing that, that elevates you. If you're beating who everyone else beats, but you don't get those um, those odd results that really elevate you, you're in big trouble. So there's got to be three points. And based on what I've seen so far, I'm not so sure why it won't be. One thing I would definitely recommend for that game, I think is over one and a half goals in that game Sunday. It seems like a dead cert bet for anything involving Aberdeen this season. So looking back at some other news uh, out of Pataudry since last week. So uh, the women's team uh, managed to get another victory on the board 
a 1-0 victory over Motherwell in Group A of the SWPL Cup. And that maintains their 100% record in the group stages and confirms their place in the quarterfinals. Bailey Hutchison with another goal, sealing the win for the Dons at the Balmoral Stadium. And stay tuned for our interview with Emma Hunter looking back at this game and looking forward to the season ahead. One of the interesting points that came out last week was this rumoured £500,000 bid for, I was going to call him Tony Boyle. I have no idea why I was going to call him Tony Boyle. <laughs> Martin Boyle of Hibs, which was uh, summarily rejected by Ron Gordon. And then the next day, Boyle signs a new one-year extension at Hibs. And all I can figure out this is that Boyle and his agent have done Hibs up like a kipper. It does kind of smack of, I want this, you're not getting it. Well, there's a bid on the table. What was it you wanted again? Yeah, that's fine, because we don't want to sell you either at all, or especially not to a rival. I, I can't believe that we would make an offer um, if we'd not had some level of encouragement to do so by player and agent, which makes me then think that they've just gone, we know that's going to be rejected, but the great thing is we could just walk straight into Jack Ross next day and say, I need a new deal. And he's got it. So... Fair play to him on that one. Um, what's interesting is that we're chucking that sort of cash around potentially. Um, I would have thought that we, we talked about it earlier on. I would have thought that sort of level of cash would secure you McGrath from St. Mirren, um, I would imagine. Yeah. So if there's any truth to what I believe is still a rumour, that my first thought wasn't actually who's the player. It was, have we actually got that kind of cash to throw around? Because if we do, that actually, that's really quite exciting. I mean, okay, you know, you could get one player or you could get a couple, but that's, I think that's decent money, especially with the way everything went last year in terms of, you know, loss of revenue and stuff like that. Um, that's quite a decent statement of intent, actually, if the board is going to back the manager with, it's not quite a war chest, but uh, it's some real money. And an added bonus like that is it's riled Derek Ferguson up enough to have to go and open goal again and talk about how we're not paying our players enough money. So Derek, get it right around you. And the other part that I thought was interesting last week was um, Aberdeen City Council decided to finally pull their finger out of their arse and unveil some kind of stadium plans slash proposals that look at retaining the club at the beach area. I don't know if you had much of a chance to have a look at these. Um, they're very high level. They're, they're purely conceptual, but from my perspective, quite interesting. Yeah, so I've had a wee look. I don't get too hung up on these types of things because I think as a number of people have pointed out online, it's not quite a rehashing of what has been produced in the past, but this isn't really a new topic of discussion, is it? A new pathology, where's it going to be? It is odd that after years of, you can't have it here and you can't have it there, we finally get the permission, you know, by the training pitch to, um, towards West Hill, and now all of a sudden the council saying, oh, well, maybe you could have it in the city. So from a personal point of view, I think it would be great. I like... I know the pathology is not quite in the city centre, but I like stadiums in the city. I think it's quite important for, for that area. And um, if the stadium remains down there, you know, you've got quite a lot of local businesses and things like that that I think would struggle if you're taking away that kind of crowd every second week, roughly. So we'll watch this space and see if we ever get anything concrete. But for what it's worth, I think it'd be good to have it down there. Yeah, I think there was a few items that contain within those proposals that you know deserve closer analysis and we'll need you know you need to go through the fine the fine detail of it at a later date but I think I would speak for all three of us um I know I would speak for Gavin on this we'd all want to see us stay 
as close to pathology as we as we as we possibly could. Um, if you listen to what Theo Ten Cat had to say about pathology in episode four, I'd encourage anyone to go back and listen to that, just to talk about how important it is for teams to stay within the either within their home home stadium or as close to that as they possibly can because of the history that goes with it. And I felt there was some interesting stuff that came out in those concepts. I I quite liked the fact that there was like the architects were looking at the Brentford Stadium as a case study, not necessarily a design like that, but demonstrating that you can do things to fit a stadium into what might be perceived to be a relatively tight footprint. And I quite like that because the one thing I've always had a massive, well, one of the things I've always had a massive reservation about the Kingsford move is that I felt that the stadium proposals just looked a bit blah. They just looked like a big... Tony Macaroni with the corners filled in or something of that ilk you know nothing particularly unique nothing that would set us apart as a football club from from any of these other bowls that you see whereas at least Brentford there's a uniqueness about it and I quite like the fact that they're talking about you know examining the possibility of 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 working with like the natural contours of the land we're talking about working with the broad hill and all that kind of good stuff that could be that could be really cool and I think I know people don't like to talk about corporate hospitality and all that kind of stuff because it's not really at the core of football, but it's churlish not to recognise what that brings into the club on a, on a weekly basis as well. And some of the artists' proposals also had the idea about the main stand facing out to the beach and you would then potentially have hospitality and like conference suites and stuff that looked out to the North Sea, but also looked out to the pitch as well. And I was like, that would be a massive selling point, I think, for the club in, in those types of facilities. You compare that to you know, the absolute ripping that Hearts got when they built their new stadium and they had their Skyline Cafe or whatever it's called, promising views of Edinburgh Castle. And you sit in it, you can't even see the castle. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. I mean, I am the nostalgic one. If it was up to me, I wouldn't leave Pataudry. To me, although it's sort of, you know, over the last few years, the and inverted commas, match the experience. To me, the match the experience is maybe a couple of drinks before with my mates, going to watch Aberdeen, ideally Aberdeen win. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not too fussed about having a great big swanky stadium, but I get it's getting old. Something is going to have to change. And if we're going to get something different, let's not go generic and off the shelf. Let's use the location we've got and try and retain some of what makes Pataudry, you know, our home. And I think it's good that they're not just talking about here's the plot and here's the generic stadium. You know, what does everyone think? If they really are looking to use some of the, you know, yeah, and that, that uh, the idea of looking out to the North Sea, if you're part of hospitality, would be pretty cool. And I, I realise everyone's got their view on that. But the way, the way I kind of view it is, you know, it doesn't cost me anything extra. You know, my ticket price isn't going to be influenced by the fact that people are paying money to go to hospitality. But... If you can actually really get that and actually utilise it out with match days and you can actually get some extra cash into the club on the assumption that that goes towards, you know, some or all of it goes towards the playing budget, that has to be a good thing. No, definitely. I think that the big concern I have about getting involved with the council again is, does that mean that things that supporters want to see kind of get put to the sideline a little bit? So we'd all love to see steep break stands like you have at Tyne Castle. You know, we want to see that. Now, if the council are putting up a significant portion of cash to make this happen, are they then going to start to want to be involved about design and all that kind of stuff? And the supporters' views get shuffled off to the side a little bit. Or, you know, I saw some one of the options was like a bit, I didn't like the look of it. It was like some of the leisure facilities were backing into the stadium. 
and, and you were like to get access to one of the stands, you'd go through the links, like the ice rink, like a redeveloped ice rink. And it's like, no, I don't want anything like that. That, that to me, overly sanitizes the, the day out for a lot of supporters. Now, it might work if that's, for example, maybe the family stand or something. As long as they cater for it, and there was a really good interview, I'd encourage anybody out there to go and look at it and to go and read it or to watch it. Martin Stone, who's joining us next week, uh, did an interview with uh, Dave Cormack and Rob Wicks. And they touch upon this idea, and I, it's really corporate talk, and it's it's not necessarily the way you want to think about football. But I think it's important. You need to recognise that there are different segments of support, and each segment of the support wants something different out of their trip to the stadium you know you've got I guess guys like ourselves we want to go we want to have a good time I'm not necessarily concerned about the facilities I'm not necessarily concerned about you know whether the toilets have got a roof on them I don't really care about stuff like that to be quite frank but I recognize as a as a father of some you know, young kids I'm going to want to take my kids to the game at some point in the future and there's not a huge amount that's appealing about sitting in you know an uncovered stand down at the the beach on a December night that's going to encourage my children to want to continue to come back again and there has to be that those elements all have to talk to each other there's an aging level of support at Pataudry who just want to sit in the main stand and watch the game they don't want to get involved in singing and that's their prerogative and so again I think that whatever happens they need to make sure that this stadium whether it happens at Kingsford whether it happens at the beach whether it happens somewhere else kind of caters for everybody in some way I think that's absolutely valid you know, currently, I like going to football with my friends. We've obviously moved to the, the Red Shed, and it's been great, thoroughly enjoying it. In 10 years' time, is that what I want to do? Maybe not. Maybe I just want to go and enjoy the match. And, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I'm not uh, picking up. I don't think there's a right way to support the club. You know, at, at the game, you're there, you've paid your money, you're doing your bit. So going back to the, the start of this conversation, you know, talk about... Yeah, you don't necessarily want to get in bed with the council if they're then going to start interfering. But I don't know if the fact that these discussions are taking place is a, an acknowledgement from the council that they maybe need Aberdeen Football Club more than they thought they did. Because now that, you know, obviously for years when it's, oh, we're going to move and we're going to get this, nothing's happening, you, you don't have to engage. But with the training facilities are there, the planning permission is there. It's not in the city. I mean, you know, you look what's down there now, the Hilton Hotel closed down, things are obviously the last sort of 15 months or so things have changed down there maybe that's the council realizing actually we might need something here and that might shift the balance of power in our favor so but i guess kind of flip side to that is to me you know aberdeen football club it's about aberdeen and i think it's detrimental to leave the city it's, it's not good for anyone in my opinion um, so I would kind of hope, although there could be an element of, nah, it's all right, council, we don't need you. We've, you've messed around for years. We've got what we wanted now, not interested. I think we should look at the, the bigger picture and the club should be there for the people of Aberdeen. And I think it's better served being in the city and where it is so people can, you know, businesses, people can benefit, even just mechanics of getting in and out. It's going to be a lot better the traffic is busy around there, but, you know, it's just what it is on a Saturday. Everyone knows that it works. Um, so I, think, I personally think there are a lot of good reasons to stay down at the beach. And if you did get a stadium that actually the majority of people felt like they'd had a chance to influence and actually would be looking forward to go to, I think that would be an excellent outcome. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. It's about time the City Council actually recognised how valuable the club is 
to them. Um, I think they've taken them for granted for, for too many years. And the benefit for this for the club might be that they don't have to fit the bill for a whole new build of a stadium themselves. Um, I just hope that that doesn't come with a, a load of conditions attached to it. But I think we'd all agree, keeping the, if we can't stay at Pataudry, keeping the Dons at that area is, is absolutely of, of prime importance. So just to round off this section, let's have a quick look at our um, loanees who are out uh, at various different clubs this season. The only real thing to note this week, I think, was Connor Barron got another 86 minutes of action uh, for Kelty Hearts. They maintained their strong start to the season with a 1-0 win over Edinburgh City. So another good few minutes in the tank for Connor. Looks, by all accounts, to be playing well there. That's, that's going to that's gonna uh, hopefully bear some fruit as well for us going forward. Yes, uh, obviously not the, the quality of playing in the you know the Premier League with Aberdeen, but getting minutes, getting experience is just what you need. I recall, I think back to a number of years ago when Maguire was kind of in and around the Aberdeen team, and I think it was Kamarnik. You had it might be around the Calderwood actually. Um, he had a period there, and when he came back, you know, it was a new a new player. He'd bulked up, but he'd, he'd learnt sort of how to ride tackles and when do you do a trick and when do you not. So I think Connor getting some experience anyway and to be fair it's not like it's going to be a walk in the park for him and he's maybe to an extent a bit of a target because some people oh well, here's this here's this youngster in the books of Aberdeen coming down I'm going to show him what football is all about so if he's getting minutes under his belt in a team that's uh, winning full of confidence that's got to be great for his development and hopefully that'll benefit uh, himself and us in the future definitely and here's hoping uh, some of the other lads who've missed out the last couple of weeks start getting some minutes in the next few weeks I think once they recover from injury and some isolation issues so fingers crossed they start getting some minutes in the tank as well so we're going to take a short break here join us after the break for our exclusive interview with Emma Hunter and to play us out for the first half here's Angry Man Car Park with their track I'm Strange check out and follow the guys on Twitter at Angry Man Car Park
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Friends of Anchor. Friends of Anchor have embarked upon their biggest fundraising campaign to date, the Anchored Together Appeal. This appeal aims to raise £2 million to deliver the difference for the Anchor Centre when it opens in 2023. This purpose-built facility needs funding over and above NHS core budget to deliver a number of extras. Extras that will put Aberdeen on the map for exceptional cancer and haematology patient care. The Anchor Together Appeal funding will help to deliver a complimentary therapy room, top-of-the-range treatment chairs and beautiful garden spaces. Not to mention the warmest welcome that will really lift the atmosphere for every patient, loved one and staff member who walks through the Anchor Centre doors. The charity needs the support of the North East and that includes you to reach that £2 million target. To get involved, please visit friendsofanchor.org. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, joining us in our latest of our series of interviews is the head coach of the Aberdeen FCA women's team, who's led her charges to two successive promotions to see the Dons back into the top flight once again. It's Emma Hunter. Hi, Emma, and welcome along to the ABZ Football Podcast. We're delighted to have you on board today. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you. It's nice to be on and always love chatting about football and, and women's football. So thanks for having me on. Well, first of all, for us, thank you for agreeing to take part in the show. Like, And we were hoping that this could maybe become a, a relatively frequent segment with yourself because we're keen to, to maintain a, a look on the women's team and provide it with as much coverage as, as we possibly can. And obviously, this is the first time that we've properly spoken since the tail end of last season. So on behalf of myself and the entire uh, ABZ Football Podcast team, we just want to offer you and the team our congratulations on taking home the the title last season and getting promotion back to the top flight. Oh, thanks. That means a lot. I think like that's what we want to do is we want to integrate into the Aberdeen family. So it does actually mean a lot that that people are saying that. So thank you. So I mean, as the close seasons kind of developed, have you had a bit more time now to kind of reflect on just how significant an achievement it has been to successfully produce two back to back? title winning campaigns especially when last season was so badly hit with COVID-19 and there was even some real doubts about whether that season would even complete. I think there's been not very much time to reflect to be honest um, but that's just football I think like even though you get a break you don't really get a break because you're constantly just thinking about how you're going to set up for the next venture or you know signing new players or keeping players so you never really reflect too much in football you always have to like think forward in the next game or the next journey or whatever you're doing so I think it's only just recently I've started to reflect a little bit more in terms of competing in SWPL1 now so we played Motherwell our first match and they're obviously established in SWPL1 and that was the reality for me was was is it like actually playing them to actually realize how far I would come and actually not just playing against Motherwell but then actually beating them at the weekend as well was huge so I think as well it's just more recently when you start to compete in SWPL one you realize like what you've actually achieved because um, that's what we wanted to do is to get there and I think like you could become so focused that you, you could become so blinkered that you don't see anything else but once you get there you start to like realize oh actually that's such a huge achievement to not only get to SWPL one but hopefully try and compete and make our mark on there as well. And I guess it's going to be great for yourself and for the squad to get some 
proper recognition, I guess. Not that you've not had proper recognition already, but when you get to parade the trophy at Pataudry this coming Sunday, um, hopefully it'll be a pack Pataudry as well for the visit of Ross County. No, 100%. And sometimes success breeds success, and we realised that as well. And that was one of our key aims, was to make sure that we earned the right to to get that recognition, not just from the club, but from the fans and people around. So we always know that we have to make sure that our product's good. Um, And that's one thing that we are continuously working on, so that if anyone does see us play, that they'll come back. Um, And that's really important to us. So, yeah, I think, like, as as the years, couple of years have gone on, we'll have seen more recognition from... Uh, fans and on social media and even general media as well in the city which has been a huge positive for us so um, we knew that we had to produce the goods before that we would we'd be able to get that so um, that's been one of our key motivators as well. So I guess like a lot of our listeners probably won't probably be aware I guess of the kind of more recent history of the of the women's team at Aberdeen but I mean there'd always historically been a bit of a a loose link I think is probably the best way to describe it between the, the AFC ladies team and the club but it was only really in 2018 that the club formally launched a senior women's team like and, and incorporated it properly within the club and obviously that came around after a pretty torrid spell it's probably fair to say for the former setup when you know in, in the 2017 and 18 seasons it was the back-to-back relegations kind of meant that the, the the ladies team were kind of going to be playing it with the swpl setup completely and it it was at that point when the, the the club decided to integrate the women's team more formally that that was when you were appointed as, as co-manager initially. Did that take much in the way of convincing for you to take on that job at that time when it came up? Not at that time. So obviously, like, it was a general application as well. So the job advert had gone out. And for me, I'd, I've been involved in women's football since I was five years old. So And I've been coaching for quite a long time. And I'd never really taken um, a giant step towards, like, running a women's team because I just never felt that the resources was right or um, the product was good enough really so I'd coached a lot in terms of like high level um, Scotland national teams assistant coach for 17s and 16s um, and obviously coached a lot of regional squads and development talented players in the north etc but I knew that I would never probably step up until I knew that there was the back in there and that I had the resources to actually make um, a team be successful in Aberdeen. And for me, the club taking that that on was just that that key moment for me. But equally, I knew that there was a lot of talent in Aberdeen, young players that you know I had worked with previously because I'd been at national squads and um, coaching them at regional squads. So I knew that this was a massive opportunity to go in, but actually not just to go into Aberdeen, but to actually um, make a real difference to women's football in the North because there was the talent there and the club were ready to invest. So it was almost like perfect timing for me. Once that opportunity came up, there was no way they were probably ever going to be able to say no to me. Uh, I think I did everything I could in the interview to, to make sure that I was getting that job. Um, both I had to do a practical and uh, face-to-face interview. So I absolutely gave it my all in it. So I was definitely wanting to get it once I got my mindset on it. Uh, quite right. And I mean, obviously on a personal level, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier on, but you've always been football daft. Can you remember what your earliest memories about playing football or when you really started to get into football? Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, all, all of my good memories are probably around football. And um, when I was younger... I probably just started playing with the boys. My brother was a similar age to me and we used to just play. It was a street full of boys. So, you know, it's a lot of people our age will probably relate to this, but you get your jackets off, find the smallest patch of grass possible. When you go and visit your home again, you're like, 
was that little cul-de-sac that small? I thought it was huge when I was a kid, like a proper 11-a-side pitch, but it's probably a 3v3. But yeah, just uh, getting getting the jackets down from the minute you got home from school till uh, it was too dark to see each other, um, playing in the streets and things, um, played uh, at school. And then eventually just seeing a school trial come up, went to it and uh, they obviously thought that I was good enough and they selected me, but it was, wasn't until about two weeks later that they phoned and said, well, actually... Uh, we didn't know that there was rules because you're a girl, you can't actually play for our school team, which was devastating for a young girl who was nine who dreamt of playing football. That's heartbreaking. So, yeah, it was a real challenge, even from an early age, um, being a, a girl or woman in football. So that's my earliest memories. It's probably disappointment, which is a shame. Good memories, obviously, I loved football, but a disappointing memory not to be able to play with the boys and just watch them. And I think... It, it does say it in the press, I'd make them juice at half time, but that's the truth. I would actually just pour the diluting juice at half time and, and be there at the game and just watch, which is a shame. Always been a dandy? Yeah, I'd say so. I think uh, um, I remember my time, Ian Jess, Scott Booth, they were our, our, my idols. Um, so yeah, always been an Aberdeen fan, but as I got older, I sort of just uh, became so consumed with my, my own life and coaching that, you know, it's been on and off, going to games when I can, Um but always support them for sure. I mean, yeah, you kind of touched on it a minute ago that, you know, obviously it's, it's been pretty well documented, the kind of troubles that you had as an individual being able to just get to play the game competitively. And we spoke about it before we started recording that I went back and looked at some of the tweets you posted earlier on. And there was one from October last year with a kind of classic, how it started, how's it going type thing. And I was amazed when we suddenly noticed that I think it was Spring Hill Primary, you had to strip on and it ended up being my dad's company that were sponsoring at the time, which is just crazy that there's just such a coincidence that we came onto it. But like, while there's obviously, there's still a lot more to do, I think, in terms of promoting the women's game locally and nationally, but are you now starting to feel that things are, are starting to develop in the right way, especially at youth levels, like you say, because it was kind of blocked off to you, that, that pathway initially? Yeah, 100%. And it's the fastest growing sport um, in this country is women's football and girls football. So, And it has been for the last uh, probably eight to 10 years now. So, And it's still growing rapidly. So it is a growing sport. And I think like the more young girls play, I think we all know that the better the product will be eventually as well on the pitch. But we're also seeing a lot of investment as well in professional football clubs. So now probably every model almost have got a women's team that replicate their men's team, which is fantastic. And we've also got a few teams now in Scotland that are fully professional. So again, that's a massive step in the right direction. But I think we're just hitting that that difficult stage now where we do have a bit of a mixture in terms of like there are areas that are getting developed and there is investment in it, but then there's equally a lot of clubs that don't have any investment at all. So it's, it's, it is difficult to compete with that. And it eventually um, that'll have to try and pan out a little bit before it becomes a level playing field and actually an enjoyable league to watch. And you kind of touched on it earlier on as well. I mean, do you feel that the Northeast is now beginning to become a bit of a hotbed of, of talent in the female game? Yeah, I think like people, I think a lot of people don't realise that because the uh, people from Aberdeen move on quite early in their career with football, that we've created some of the greatest players, uh, not only in the UK, but in the world. Kim Little, for me, is one of the best players in the world, and she came from Bucking up north. Um, Rachel Corsey from here, right in Aberdeen, obviously Scotland captain and husband for quite some time. Um, Rachel Boyle, which is obviously Martin Boyle's wife, um, Smalley, so Rachel Small at the time was from Aberdeen as well, and she's a Scotland international player. So, yeah, we've produced 
tons and tons and there's there's more that you could name but yeah Aberdeen have always had that um, catchment of um, good players but I think it's inevitable that they do move on to bigger and better and um, I think it's the same even in the in the men's and youth game as well as is it you know there are bigger clubs in Aberdeen and unfortunately can't keep a hold of all of them but to be part of their journey is, is huge and and it's you know I think all Aberdeen fans like to see that as well when someone from Aberdeen goes on and and does really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I guess with the closer integration now between the women's team and the men's team at Aberdeen as well, I mean, do you think that, I mean, or presumably you are maybe starting to see the benefit of the fact that the men's side are starting to go back to its roots a little bit in terms of focusing in on youth development? And, and will that make sure that there's going to be like kind of shared learnings, I guess, between between both parts of the club from that perspective of how we bring on youth? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, um, to be fair, it's easy to write a strategy, isn't it, to say that you're going to, this is what you're going to do. You're going to look at youth players. You're going to give them opportunities. But actually, to be able to action that so soon in this transition has been good to see. And hopefully that's only going to get better. So I think, yeah, that's obviously just going to mirror around the whole club. To see those young players playing in the first team will be really important for all the younger players. So whether that's girls or women's and, and or the men's game, um, that's huge. And I think we've done that as well at Aberdeen Women. So a lot of people don't know that although the link between Aberdeen Women is there, there's Aberdeen Ladies still set as, separate as its own entity. So it's still uh, run as a voluntary organisation. Um, so they take from 19s downwards. And that's something that we've done. We've uh, definitely recruited some of those younger players at Aberdeen youth set up and put them into the women's squad. So I think uh, right across the whole club, it's it's now fully integrated that we are looking to, you know, get bring the youth on and, and eventually, yeah, it might be that they move on, but hopefully it generates a lot of income for the club, et cetera. And hopefully one day the women's team will be doing that as well. No, absolutely. And I mean, I guess in terms of the link now between the women's team and, and the whole club, I mean, are you able to kind of just explain or expand to our listeners in terms of the level of depth that you're now able to kind of benefit from, you know, things like, you know, medical staff, physios, analytics, sports science, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, resources is a big one for me and something that like I've always been an advocate for for women's football is to look at your resources and get the best use of resources before you go and start to pay players, etc. So that's one of the biggest things that we've noticed is, is that um, we can tap into some of these resources and expertise. So it's, it's the people as well. So yeah, you're right. We get um, physiotherapy. So uh, SWPL1 will have our own physiotherapist that will attend our training and matches. We've got sports scientists that um, attend our training sessions and then we can get use of the gym um, post-COVID. Hopefully that'll all be back to normal. And yeah, we've got the use of like uh, technology and um, we'll be using like sports office to log a lot of our games. And then um, it's quite nice as well because you've got a close-knit group of coaches across. So the club's made up of a lot of coaches, a lot of different experiences, younger and older. You've got like Neil Simpson that's been in the game for decades and then you've got some young coaches with great new ideas. So we do a lot of sharing of ideas and, you know, that being part of that is really important as well. And when I first came in, Stephen Glass picked up the phone to me a good couple of times as well, just to say like um, if there was anything that we needed or, you know, if we needed help or support with anything, then he would be on hand to, to help us do that. So that was huge for me. Um, and I've already picked up the phone a couple of times and asked for a few wee favours, which has been great. So, yeah, that that side of it's just uh, made such a difference. And 
there's no better motivation for the players than that to feel like you're part of this club. No, uh, is there any kind of plans, I guess, to integrate that any further? And I suppose just mentioning about Stephen Glasser, also Stephen came in from Atlanta where there is that link up with the club as well. Is there any opportunities you get to even link up with the, the Atlanta side of the, the organisation? Yeah, so basically Atlanta is probably one of the few teams in the in the US that don't have a women's um, squad attached to their MLS team. So um, yeah, that might be something that's investigated in the future and I hope it does because I think Atlanta would have a huge catchment for the women's game up there. So yeah, I think like when that comes out would be great. But yeah, even my day job is working for the community trust. So um, I've already linked with Atlanta to talk about um, disability sports. They've got like a huge uh, representation. They've got a team that competes um, weekly, like the professional men's team do, and they've got supporters wear the strip and things. So we've been in loads of dialogue with Atlanta and across the club, and we're using them in every uh, different opportunity that we can. So um, yeah, 100%. I'd love to see that link a little bit stronger. I've obviously played and coached in the States as well. So I know a lot about America. So um, yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity in the future there. And I think there'll be more and more happening as time goes on. But I don't think anyone should underestimate that link. I think a lot of people could be quite sceptical about it and what actually the benefits are. But to be linked with um, such a big club in the US, I think it is really important. Yeah, I mean, we're planning to do a bit of a kind of deep dive, I think, on the Atlanta link in a couple of weeks' time during the kind of international break period, because I think you're right, there's there's elements of that link-up that I think people look at on a slightly more cynical or dubious level, but there definitely has to be some benefits in there as well that I think it's important for everyone to try and examine and try and understand and get to grips with. And you're right, I mean, the women's game, especially in the States, is you know, it's, it's so much more developed, I guess, in terms of where it's at than, than a lot of other countries. And it'd be great for you guys to have the opportunity to tap into some of that going forward if Atlanta do pick up a, a women's team. Even for me, like any listeners, I suppose if you've been to the US, you know how uh, the US like to engage with you know customers and fan base and I think like that's something that Dave Cormack is definitely looking into and I think we definitely need an injection of life into our football uh, change a bit of a change of culture as well and and making it more of a family entertainment rather than um, what, what we're used to so I mean if you've seen Atlanta games they're lively they're fun and they make it a, a full day of entertainment and that's something that we can definitely learn from yeah, I think, you know, there's always, a, there's always that cynicism, I think, from fans around the idea about segregating your support base into customers and in inverted commas. But in reality, it's actually quite an important thing to do. You have to recognize that there are different segments of your support who want different things out of their game day. And the good thing, I think, it's certainly for the club at the moment is things like the initiatives like the Red Shed have been really popular. The club's been crying out for something like that for years, I think, to kind of get the atmosphere going. Hopefully, though, they can also do something, I think, to try and maintain the family element of things. I think there's maybe still a bit of a question mark about how that goes on goes going forward. But certainly, I think there's a lot of good things that can come out of that link. But going back to yourselves, I mean, looking forward to the to the new season coming up, obviously, you're three games in to the actual season itself now, and it's been a great start for you guys. Three wins out of three in the, in the SWPL Cup, straight into the quarterfinals, which is great with a game to spare. I mean, you must be thrilled to got off to such a good start as far as that goes, and especially with that victory over Motherwell, who, as you touched on earlier, they're an established top-flight side. They've made some significant signings in the close season. That must be a great confidence boost going in. Yeah, I mean, anyone who knows me will know that I probably want more, and I'm never really that satisfied with um, what we've achieved. But realistically, if we look at it, I think the two the way that the matches have panned out for us, we've been really fortunate, and we played at the, the two SWPL2 clubs. 
initially that, that you know we would be expected to beat them just because like we've come out of that league as a champion so but there is still always that pressure and football's football and cup games as well you never know what happens but um yeah so those two games and then the motherwell game i think um yeah it's a it's a huge boost for us to get that victory and we said that at the start of the game that you know these are the teams that you know will be competing with us in the swpl one for points every week so this is our chance to step up and actually prove to the league that we deserve to be there, et cetera. So yeah, it was a, a huge boost, but there were so many things in the game that we could have been better. Um, we're still so young and you can see that on the pitch. We've got a lot of learning to do. And um, for me, we've got some really, really challenging games ahead. And um, I, I think it's just not getting overexcited with some of those results. And for me, I, I probably would have expected to get those three matches and get those points in the SWPL Cup. So um Facing Rangers on Wednesday will be a totally different challenge, but uh, to be able to do that with no pressure because we're through already is absolutely ideal, and that's what we we're aiming for. So we've achieved it, um, and we can go into that game with just a little bit of a learning and, and take it um, as a bit of a learning tool and, and see how we we fare up against them. Absolutely, and it must be great as well that the likes of like Bailey Hutchison, uh, Eva Thompson, and, and and Fran Ogilvie have got the season underway in where they left off last season in, in amongst the goals already and, and kind of firing off on all cylinders yeah 100 percent. although i was just watching some of the clips this morning and i think they all they all could have scored about two or three more to be honest so uh, yeah although they deserve the credit for what they've done um and i think like the those three players in particular have, have started the season really well and they finished last season really well but for me the other pleasing fact is something that we've started to try and talk a lot more about is our defense um, one of our objectives was to really celebrate defending well as a team. I think like took inspiration from uh, Italy's performances in the Euros where they almost celebrated the way they scored a goal when they defended really well. So that was something we spoke about that let's celebrate the fact that we've defended really well, more so than actually how many goals we score. So for me, I've got to mention, you know, the back line and how, you know, they've only conceded that one goal as well, which was... Um, maybe a little bit sloppy but yeah just conceding that one goal in three games was important as well so um, focusing on the defending and the goalkeeper is important as well so I think they deserve the credit as well for what they've done. It's a bit of a dying breed that the kind of ability to to, to celebrate defending in that way but I think I would speak for the three of us on the on the show that we all love seeing defenders and goalkeepers who celebrate stuff like they've just scored a goal themselves. It's great stuff to watch so I mean like you say going forward this year it's, it's a huge step for the squad um, coming up this season I mean the top flights become I guess more and more competitive over the last few seasons you've got the likes of Hibs who've always been kind of relatively strong in, in this area being joined by Celtic and Rangers who've obviously put a lot more focus into their women's setup as well and I guess everybody be gunning for, for Glasgow City Yeah I mean all of those teams that you mentioned I think they've got I mean Glasgow City's got a huge pedigree right they've only won the league like 14 times in a row so um yeah I mean they really invest really well as well but they're actually really good at making some good signings internationally as well which can be challenging so um you know they've, they've got the ability to bring players in from abroad and I think that's great as well for some of our young players to come up against some of the best around the world and from different nations because they bring different qualities to the game as well so yeah look there's no denying it like we're still such a very like early 
immature team in terms of our development but what we do have is like hunger and youth and that can go a long way in these types of games um, so hopefully we just give a good showing of ourselves and that's what's really important um, we're under no illusion that it's not going to be tough against some of these clubs but I think any of the clubs below them will be looking to see if we can get points off of each other as well so I think with the the extra teams coming into the league, it'll make it that little bit more exciting as well, which is important for the, the SWPL one. So yeah, we've got a lot of a lot of games that we should be winning and a lot of games that we wouldn't expect to win. So it'll be a really interesting season for us and it'll be nice to see how we actually react to it and how we adapt. Um, and if we are able to adapt quick enough, because um, that'll be the, the big test for us is that we've got so many young players and um, can they learn quickly on the job, as they say? Um, and I think on even against Motherwell, you could see that we were missing some of that that ability to problem solve on the pitch. So that's something that I need to work on with them. You, you just touched on signings there. I mean, obviously, transfer activity for for you guys um, so far this season, unless I'm mistaken. I think you've you've taken one acquisition in with with Donna Patterson coming in from uh, for for Farmington, and although Donna's only 22, she's played at this level for kind of five years, so she brings a good level of experience to the group, I guess. What else do you think she'll bring to the to the to the group? I think Donna is, uh, she's she's just one of those, like, I think it's something with the north, like north of Aberdeen, they just produce these machines sometimes um, where she's just got that attitude where nothing phases her on the pitch, she'll give everything, she'll, you know, go up for every header, she's really strong, um, she's so focused on her football, she loves it, um, she, would, she wouldn't miss it for the world, she'd be on crutches, I've had to stop her a few times trying to come back to training because she's injured just now. Um, just a determination, but a bit of maturity in our team that's needed, um, a bit of composure at the back at times as well, just because she's been there and done it. But she's a quality defender, and she has been for quite a while. She's always been in and around the, the youth international squads, and um, I think as she got older, she just got better and better as a player. So she represented Scotland at under-19s, uh, did really well starting most of the games. So, um, and obviously, like, even though for Forford probably didn't have a great season, Donna was definitely a stand standout in that team. So um for me it was it was a an easy signing to make and someone that I'd always known that I probably wanted to bring into the squad when the time was right. And we're always looking for scoops on on, on this podcast. Any more potential incomings on the horizon? Well, yeah, there's uh, going to be an announcement shortly. We've had a player on as a, a trialist um, more recently for a few weeks, so hopefully that'll be announced in the next uh, few days or so. But yeah, I'm not going to tell you who it is because that would spoil it for her probably. So yeah, um, but yeah, a, a really hungry player. Maybe, um, again, was an international youth player, but took some time out of football to start a family and is now having that second chance at football again so coming in with a, a huge determination and a, a will to do well so hopefully she'll she'll add something else to our squad as well uh, great stuff and we'll all keep keep an eye out for that being announced hopefully the next couple of days obviously so I, I guess as well is there maybe a, a bit of a challenge coming now for us to retain some of our young kind of up-and-coming players once they get an opportunity to kind of impress at this level now yeah a hundred percent um and it, it, it always will be and it always will. And I think it's a double-edged sword from a lot of people think Aberdeen, you've got a massive, you've got a pool, a selection of players. There's not a lot of big clubs. Dundee United is probably the biggest club next to us now with Warfare pooling out. So 
there's not a lot of teams around us that can take players off of you or that movement that happens. So we're, we basically get the pick of a lot of good players in the north. But you're right, it is then difficult when, you know, money is involved and contracts can happen to, to keep hold of them. And probably the one thing that we, we are trying to focus on is the education side of it. So uh, we know that, you know, even becoming a professional women's player is going to be a challenge. And even when you do make it, I don't think the money is that big to be able to call it a career necessarily. Um, potentially you can earn more money in a, in a normal job or a career. So I think what we try and do is, is that we look at education as that tool to try and keep them in Aberdeen and also so they can balance the education with their football. Um, so we'll, we're, we, we'll just see how it goes. And I think we'll always try and keep our players and we want to compete in the SWPL1 in the high, you know, the top four. So I think we will just make sure that we're trying to retain the players as much as possible. Um, we're trying to create like a bit of a hybrid approach where we're creating sessions in the evening and maybe a couple during the daytime as well so that like players can choose. So if you work, you can go evenings, but if you're at university, you can maybe come to day, day training. That just allows that little bit of flexibility. So we'll just continue to develop it and see if we can uh, try and find a, a model that will work for, for the Northeast. But I mean, like we've said it before, I think the most important part for me is, is that like um, whatever these women end up doing is, is that they have a really successful career in whatever it is they do, if they decide it's football or if they decide it's in engineering or teaching. So that they'll always get my support, whatever they decide to do. You kind of just touched on it briefly there. So you know, what are your kind of general aspirations for the side this season? And have you kind of been set any targets specifically by the club, I guess? Yeah, I mean, the club, I think, like, maybe need to have a discussion with the club because I think it was always clear from the outset that it was to get the team into SWPL1. So, like, tick that box so I can retire now, maybe. Um, no, so, yeah, I think, like, realistically, as a group, we've had these discussions. We always do that at the start of the season. Um, we always decide what our objectives will be together. Um, just like any organisation, you would do the same, so... We, we met, yeah, so for us, we want to be a top five club this first season, which, you know, is realistic, but quite ambitious as well. So that's really good. We wanted to get out of the group stages in the SWPL Cup, so that one's achieved. And then we also like to do a lot of things off the pitch. So we've all agreed that we want to do some something for the community. So some a fundraising event or something that we can do to help the local community and uh, we also want to try and encourage fans to come and watch the women's game. So one of our targets is increase our, our gate revenue by 25% over the season. So um, a lot of things, but um, realistic and making sure that it's on and off the pitch as well. So I guess, yeah, I mean, there's there's two points, I guess, that's jump out for me there. Obviously, one on, on the show, we've made it quite clear with um, the community trust as well. We're more than happy to be involved in any kind of anything that the club are trying to do on that side of things. So our door is always open if you need any assistance in getting a message out or anything like that. Don't hesitate to give us a shout. And then secondly, obviously, you talk about getting average gates up, etc. So obviously, the SWPL1 campaign starts off with a, a nice, easy Rode in against the home fixture against Celtic, obviously on the 5th of September, and that sits neatly in the middle of the men's international break. Is that one gonna is that gonna take place at the Balmoral Stadium, do you think? Yeah, so far I think it's still to be confirmed because uh, there is some TV rights as well. So um there's 
a BBC Alba game always streamed weekly. And then there's also the BBC Online will stream a game. So there's two games are streamed live. And then there's a highlight show as well, which is always broadcast on the evening. So I think there's still negotiations on a potential venue and obviously the, the rights to TV as well. So we'll definitely keep you posted. But so far, yeah, I would imagine it to be at Balmoral Stadium. And yeah, you couldn't start with a better game against Celtic, regardless of you know where people are in the league or like anything. It's just Aberdeen Celtic. So it's huge for us and probably Celtic as well. No, definitely. And obviously, we'd encourage everyone who can get themselves along to that game, no matter where it takes place. Like I say, it's international break week for the for the men's side, so there's there's not that excuse and in inverted commas for people. Definitely try and get yourselves along to to support the to support Emma and the girls. That's the downside to the the Aberdeen doing so well in Europe is that our games are always colliding on the Sundays and my training on the Thursday. So I'm gutted. I've not really managed to watch them properly yet in Europe either. Yeah, well, big one obviously on Thursday night, and uh, fingers crossed we can we can make our way through that, and then like I say, move on to the Ross County game, and uh, like I say, hopefully you get a big uh, big crowd in at Petodre on Sunday to uh, to to give you guys that recognition you deserve for last season's triumph. I mean, I'm going to wrap things up just now. Um, I mean, thank you once again for for giving us your time to appear on this week's episode. And as with all of our guests, we ask one final question, and I'm, I'm going to give it to you just now. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? That is a difficult question, is it? Do you know what? It's like like when you're um when you become so passionate and almost consumed because you want to do so well all the time, it it's really challenging because it takes over your life. So for me, I'm absolutely consumed by Aberdeen Football Club. So I have probably say a love-hate relationship where um I obviously I absolutely love working for the club and work, working for the community trust and everything that I do, but um, it absolutely consumes me. So every minute of every waking day is just constantly at Aberdeen Football Club, whether it's um, community trust, whether it's the football ambitions, whether it's the fact that I work 70 hours a week for the club and the trust, it's probably that. But yeah, I would say it's a love-hate relationship, but definitely more love than hate most of the time. And it's probably changed my life more recently. So I'll forever be grateful for that as well, to be given the opportunity to be the first ever women's um, manager. And and to do what I've managed to do has been something that, you know, will live with me and hopefully my little boy forever. No, it's it's great stuff, and like you say, you've got you've you've already kind of sealed your place, I guess, in in the history of, of Aberdeen Football Club as far as that goes, which is which is fantastic. So, Emma, on behalf of the ABZ Football Podcast, we want to wish you and the team all the very best for the twenty one twenty two campaign, and we look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thank you so much, and yeah, just echoing, come support us, and we'll do our best to entertain you and make sure that we're producing a good product on the pitch. Great stuff, stand free. Come on, you Reds. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week where we'll cast our eyes back over the home leg against Carabag and our SPFL Premiership fixture against Ross County. We'll take some time to look over the first portion of the season as we head into the first international break. And we'll assess where we think we are and how we're progressing under the stewardship of Stephen Glass with Welkin Aberdeen fan, Martin Stone. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.